My patient population is primarily young adolescents, young reproductive age to early, I'm talking about early menopause or more appropriately perimenopausal patients. I rarely have the patient who's over 60 years of age. Honestly, I rarely have the patient over 50 years of age. And that may be because my practice is connected to an undergraduate university. So I was so excited and so happy to see something targeted to my patient population in the American Board of OBGYN's Maintenance of Certification list that just came out January 2022. In this podcast, we're going to cover one of the MOC articles. So be on the lookout because in the next maybe 10 to 15 minutes, you would have read one of the MOC articles. Then you can go right to your questions and knock that out. This article is out of the Journal of Pediatric and Adolescent Gynecology, and it's something that means a lot to me because I write a lot of birth control in adolescent and young adulthood women. So this article is going to focus on bone health and birth control. Now, I know what you're thinking. We need an article about that? Come on. I know. Depo's bad and everything else isn't so bad, right? Well, Again, it's always deeper than that. So in this episode, let's cover the ABOG MOC article, Bones and Birth Control in Adolescent Girls, out of the section on Pediatric and Adolescent Gynecology. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practices because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Adolescence, of course, is the time of initiation of sexual activity for countless young people. And improved contraceptive use, thankfully, has contributed to the decline of unintended teen pregnancies. In addition, adolescents are often given birth control for their non-birth control benefits like reduced menstrual bleeding or treatment of dysmenorrhea or even part of acne treatment. However, the adolescent years are also critical for beak bone mass acquisition, and that's a major determinant of future bone health. Now, here's something you may want to remember for your MOC questions. Bone mass obtained in early life is the most important modifiable determinant of lifelong skeletal health. Did you get that? Bone mass attained in early life is the most important modifiable determinant of lifelong skeletal health. This is why this article is so important. Because once those two things cross, right, the initiation of birth control in adolescence, at the same time that they're laying down peak bone mass, then something's going to give. I mean, it's either going to be augmented or it's going to be opposed. And we don't want to set up these adolescent or young adult patients for failure in terms of poor bone health somewhere down the road. This article is not a RCT or a prospective study, but it's a PubMed and Medline literature search, and the information that they gathered is pretty informative. Now, before we get into the specific types of contraception and their effects, if any, on bone health, let's just review some quick facts about bone health and bone formation. Remember that about 40% of adult bone mass is accrued during adolescence, primarily within two years of peak height velocity. Now, by the age of 19, about 95% of peak bone mass has been accrued with limited net gains thereafter. Now, the age of peak bone mass actually lags behind the age 
of peak height velocity by about 6 to 12 months. In other words, peak height velocity comes first, then comes the accrual or the increase in bone mass. So this difference in the timing of peak linear growth and peak bone mineral acquisition confers increased vulnerability. So this difference in the timing of peak linear growth and peak bone mineral acquisition actually confers increased vulnerability to bone fragility. So this may explain why there's an increased rate of fractures of forearms in girls between the ages of 18 and 14. Now, once peak bone mass is achieved, there is a slow but steady decline in net bone mass until menopause, where the rate of decline actually increases. Now, speaking about bone mass, most people are familiar, of course, with dual energy X-ray absorbitry, or DXA, or the DEXA scan, which we usually relate to as a menopausal test. Now, there's really no standards for checking DEXA in adolescents, unless you're really concerned of a real pathological cause for low bone mass. But just remember this for the MOC test. In adults, a one-standard deviation decrease in BMD is associated with a two to three-fold increased risk of hip fracture. We know that already, right? That's in adults. But in adolescents, there's no specific BMD cutoff below which a fracture is more likely to occur. Although, of course, there's increasing recognition that low BMD in adolescents can be associated with fractures both in adulthood and during adolescence. But if you're ever asked, like on the MOC list, if there's a specific cutoff for BMD for adolescents at which a fracture is more likely, well, that's not really studied. And there's no specific BMD cutoff below which a fracture is more likely to occur. All right, let's get into the specific kinds of birth control, the different options of contraceptives, because that's really what we need to know, right? Just tell me what I need to know, not just for the MOC list, but really for practice. Well, here's something to keep in mind. Combined oral contraceptives remain the most popular method of hormonal contraception used by adolescents. That's according to the article. Now, Here's a personal statement, especially in adolescence, because I know it's hard to remember something as an adult. It's much harder to remember to take a pill as an adolescence. Those are the people I specifically want them to use a lark for. And I'm going to get into that in just a minute. But for the MOC, if you ever ask what the most common type of contraceptive used by adolescents is, then that's combined oral contraceptives. Now, you would think, well, combined oral contraceptives have estrogen, so that's bone protective, right? End of story. Well, it's, again, not that easy, and it's a lot deeper than that. Remember that combined oral contraceptives suppress endogenous estrogen, because that's how they work. They also inhibit hepatic synthesis of insulin-like growth factor 1, which is a potent bone anabolic agent. Now, here's something interesting. Healthy young women who are not on combined oral contraceptives have mean serum estradiol levels of around 120 picograms per ml. But women on combined oral contraceptives containing 30 micrograms of ethanyl estradiol have mean estradiol levels of 44 picograms per ml. And those that are on lower-dose estrogen, like a 20-microgram pill, have levels of about 41 picograms per ml. And remember that lower serum estradiol levels adversely affect bone mineral density. 
So that's something that's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? I mean, they're taking an oral estrogen product, but they're suppressing their own endogenous estradiol. And so here's the catch. Even though they're taking estrogen, the estrogen levels in their body are lower than if they weren't taking estrogen at all. And that's because of the way that the oral estrogen is metabolized. Studies have shown that women who are on a 30 to 35 microgram combined oral contraceptive do gain BMD over a year, in other words, long term, but they do it at a lower rate compared to those not using combined oral contraceptives. And for those that are using a lower dose pill, like those under 30 micrograms, actually accrue bone mass even slower. So again, they do gain bone mass on combined oral contraceptives, but the rate of that gain lags behind non-users who aren't on combined oral contraceptives. And the effect seems to be worse or slower for those that are taking a pill under 30 micrograms. But as the authors of the publication state, thankfully, impaired peak bone mass accrual does not necessarily translate to increased fracture risk, especially in adolescents. So that's good news. Fracture risk in adolescents on combined oral contraceptives is not known, but the consensus is that low-dose combined oral contraceptives defined as less than 30 micrograms are insufficient to support peak bone mass acquisition. So if you have a 16 or 17-year-old and they want birth control pills, fantastic, because an unintended pregnancy is no joke. But we can adversely affect their bone acquisition based on what we give them for oral birth controls because they're not all the same. And this kind of hit me to my core because I love my low-dose OCPs, right? Because traditionally we're taught the lower dose, the better. But for young adolescents and young adults, that less than 30 microgram pill can actually be insufficient to support peak bone mass acquisition. That's something else to remember for the MOC. Let's move on to Depo-Provera. Depo-Medroxyprogesterone acetate is a very effective injectable contraceptive, remember, administered every 12 weeks. And it's appealing to adolescents because it can be given in private and does not rely on the patient's adherence to a daily regimen. However, of course, we know that Depo suppresses to a great extent the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis. And so these women do become hypoestrogenemic. Here's your MOC info. For most adolescents, the risk of fracture is low, and the benefits of using Depo to prevent pregnancy outweighs the risks. The Society of Adolescent Health and Medicine recommends continuing to prescribe Depo to adolescents who want to continue. Just have a discussion with them on the risks and benefits of the medication. ACOG also states that given the importance of prevention of unwanted pregnancy, concerns regarding the effects of Depo on BMD should neither prevent providers from prescribing Depo, nor should they limit its use to two consecutive years. However, the risks and benefits should be discussed with the patient and clinical judgment should be used. You should also tell them that there's other options to use for birth control that may not have a negative effect on bone mass. But remember that for the MOC. It's not a reason to discontinue it if the patient wants to continue using it for contraception. What about the contraceptive patch and the vaginal ring? Now, right off bat, you could answer, well, isn't that just the same thing as taking the oral contraceptive pill? 
But of course, they're not because they have different entry systems of the body. And when you avoid the first pass effect, then they have different effects overall. And the same is true on their effects of bone health. Here's your MOC information. Well, first of all, most of these studies are in adults, but the studies do suggest that the contraceptive patch and the vaginal ring do not adversely affect bone health, again, in adult women. But the data in adolescence is limited. So once again, the data in adolescence is just not there. All right, what about the eternogestrel implant? Remember, that's a type of lark. Well, thankfully, it's been proposed that the levonorgestrel implant may not have a deleterious effect on BMD like Depo because estrogen levels are not suppressed to the same degree. And by the way, I've said this in a separate podcast, but there's nothing like the eternogestrel implant in terms of efficacy. The annual typical failure rate, again, per year of the eternogestrel implant is 0.01% according to this article in Table 2. And in my previous podcast, I gave you the FDA answer, which was 0.05%. Nonetheless, that's the lowest outside of abstinence, which is just not as much fun. The typical use failure rate for the eternogestrel implant is the lowest at 0.01% according to this article. Oh, hey, by the way, as a quick aside, somebody else caught this and they messaged me on my Facebook page because I put a table, table two, which has the different tiers of birth control based on efficacy, right? Failure rate uh, that we can use for contraceptive counseling. And I posted that on my Facebook page, but they picked up something that actually got by the peer reviewers and the editor because they say LNG implant. LNG is, of course, the short term for levonorgestrel. But the implant is not levonorgestrel, it's etonorgestrel. So they're going to have to redact and <laughs> correct that because, yep, I've already emailed the editor. Oh man, we're wrapping this up. We've got the levonorgestrel IUS system and the copper IUD. So let's get to these two and we'll knock these out, all right? So we'll call this section the IUD slash IUS variety. What about levonorgestrel IUS? Well, the levonorgestrel IUS does not suppress endogenous estrogen production to the same degree as DEPO, and the amenorrhea that's sometimes observed, of course, is not coming because of an ovarian source, but because of the direct antiprolivative effect on the endometrium. So, thankfully, both cross-sectional and prospective studies have shown that the levonorgestrel IUS does not adversely affect bone mass, although that's been in adult women. But the same would hold true, of course, in adolescence. Plus, here's another advantage. Levonorgestrel releases 19-norprogestin, which actually has a beneficial effect on bone health. And of course, that leaves us with the easiest to discuss, which is the copper IUD, because that doesn't suppress any endogenous estrogen production at all. So of course, that would have no effect on bone health. All right, podcast family, so we're coming to the end. So what's the final take-homes? Well, it's pretty easy, right? Optimal peak bone mass accrual during adolescence is an important predictor of future bone health. So it's important to recommend to our adolescent patients to maintain a healthy body weight, take a dietary intake of at least 1,300 milligrams per day of calcium and 600 IUs per day of vitamin D. They should avoid excessive soda consumption. Yeah, that actually is linked to poor bone health. And of course, they should have weight-bearing exercise. 
in adolescence combined oral contraceptive preparations with doses that are greater than or equal to 30 micrograms should be used in preference to those that are lower than 30 micrograms. Depo negatively affects BMD during adolescence, but the effects are reversible on discontinuation, and concerns about bone health should not preclude its use in adolescents who prefer this method, even if it's for two years or more. And, although prospective study and the use of LARCs in adolescents are limited, LARCs do not appear to adversely affect peak bone mass acquisition or future fracture risk, so they remain the first-line contraceptive options for adolescents. All right, podcast family, that's a wrap. We have covered one of the American Board of OBGYN's maintenance of certification articles from the January 2022 article list. As always, keep sending us those Facebook messages because we love hearing from you. Keep spreading the word about our podcast because we're looking to grow in 2022. And as always, we're thankful for you. And thanks for being part of our podcast family. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.